Welcome to the Live Well, Perform Better podcast. My name is David Duggan and I'm the director of Below the Line, an Irish-based consultancy specialising in helping people, teams and organisations raise their levels of consciousness, inner potential and performance. I am part of a team made up of experts from the worlds of business, elite sport, adventure and health and well-being. We are coaches, mentors and advisors to some of the world's biggest companies and organisations, as well as smaller businesses, entrepreneurs and people looking to make their mark in the world. Our guiding mantra at Below the Line is live well, perform better. What does that mean, you might ask? Good question. Maybe the easiest way to describe it from our perspective is finding the formula that works for you when it comes to things like looking after your physical and mental health, running your business, developing your career, leading your people, or simply being able to show up as brilliantly as possible into your own life, both for yourself and those around you. That's why each week I sit down with a member of our team or an invited guest for a conversation that focuses on the question, what do the words live well, perform better mean to you? This question is a way into exploring with people from a range of different backgrounds, industries and disciplines. What are the practices, techniques, habits or ideas that they use to help them to show up and be at their best in all areas of their lives? whether that's as CEOs, leaders or managers, or as parents, family members or friends. We keep it short and sweet so that you can extract all the good stuff and get on with the rest of your day and hopefully put some of our knowledge, experience and expertise into play for yourself. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by another very special guest, Roisin Coughlin. Roisin is a woman who wears many hats, a yoga instructor, strategist and creative facilitator, as well as a movement and mindfulness consultant. She is someone who, in whatever capacity she is operating, helps people and organisations to discover and connect with their true purpose. Her approach to her work stems from a career that began in supporting people experiencing homelessness and the challenges and traumas she saw them endure. Her experience of overcoming physical injury and coming to yoga to aid her recovery, along with a naturally curious and questioning nature that is always asking why, and seeking to understand personal and organisational motivation at a deeper and more visceral level. This is a must-listen conversation for anyone interested in how you can join the dots between your personal and professional interests and passions, what trauma is and how it can manifest in our lives, and why it's important to keep a healthy perspective on what it means to truly live well and perform better. You can subscribe at www.belowtheline.ie where you can stay up to date with our podcast as well as our exclusive online events and sessions including our Press Pause coaching community. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Thanks a million for uh, making some time to talk to me uh, this morning. I really appreciate it. And I'll start with my now traditional question, which is, please tell me, why do you do what you do? Okay, well, um, my my whole life, I suppose, it, it's never really been linear. So there's a lot of yin, there's a lot of yang. Um, it, it, in terms of who I am and what I do and why I do it. I've always been driven by impact, change making, uh, social justice, fairness, equality, even when I didn't really understand what it was. But if, if you were talking to my mom, she would tell you that if I was asked to help set the table, I would ask, well, why isn't my brother's doing it first? And it wasn't that I wouldn't set the table. It was that I had this thing of fairness. Well, why am I being asked? And I'm the youngest and I'm the only girl. Um, so that's kind of always been with me, this curiosity and questioning, um, but with, with a keen sense of wanting to do something about it then as well. 
So after school, I went to UCD. I did a social science degree with the intention of doing social work. And so I left my social, I finished my social science degree and did a graduate recruitment program with a large uh, homelessness organization. Um, And the goal was to do that for a year and then to go back and do the master's in social work. But within a month or two, I was like, no, I don't really think that's what I want to do. Albeit, I don't know what I want to do, but I was in the space of feeling that I could really do something there. And, and, And I stayed there for 18 years. Um, and worked my way up through the ranks through various different services covering housing, homelessness, prevention of homelessness, uh, housing support, uh, a lot of time in the children and uh, youth space. And and during that time, I went back and did a master's in child protection and welfare because, again, I just thought, are we doing enough where there's vulnerability? And I needed to understand that where trauma impacts in a child's life particularly during the formative years what can we do in later times that means they don't have to be defined by that trauma yes it will impact their journey and but it doesn't have to define who they are as a person and throughout my career I suppose I've met people because I was I always worked in services or or, or leading services in the not-for-profit I've always been really taken by people's stories and I'm fascinated by by stories and really where I've come to now in terms of strategy work and I'll add in about the yoga as well now in a minute but where I've come to I suppose in terms of strategy work is really what that is about is understanding other people's stories so it, 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 it's about, you know, a lot of people, I think, have lost their their their, their story or they are they're looking for their story or they don't n- know what their story is. And really, their story is just about their why. It's why they exist, what, what they care about and what's important. And some people don't know how to articulate it or, or to tell it. Or sometimes people are scared to to uncover what it is about themselves. And, and I think stories is what connects us all as, as humans. And with the strategy work, that's what we're doing. We're unearthing stories. We're getting to the nub of the why. We're uncovering what's important. What's the beating heart? What, what does this really mean for people? And I saw a brilliant quote a week or two ago, something along the lines of storytelling being the greatest technology that humans have ever created. Um, And really, for me, what it means is it's that deep understanding of human emotion, what motivates people, the psychology behind it. And when we when we understand this at a deep level, we can build the picture for a future roadmap. We can see what's going to work in this particular context with this particular person or with this particular organization. And we can make focused strategic plans because the why and the purpose is totally solid. Everybody gets it. It's an anchor for people. People know there's one united message and that makes decision making and everything beyond that an awful lot easier. So in the middle of all of my not-for-profit work, I had had to have surgery on, on both of my legs. And I would have been a huge advocate of exercise, any kind of movement, and particularly in terms of minding your own well-being um, and overall health. And when I had this surgery, it knocked me a little bit for six, six because I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't run. I used to love heading off, run, forest run, and I keep running. And so when I couldn't do that, I remember talking to my GP saying, I need to do something. What can I do? And he said, try yoga. And I was like, oh, 
I don't know if it's going to pack a punch for me. Is it going to get, get a sweat going for me? Am I going to feel that I've really done something? And he was like, just get out of my surgery and go and find yoga. So I did. And, um, and, and it fundamentally changed something in me. Um, to the extent that I had to go and study it then and I studied my yoga teacher training I studied breathwork mindfulness meditation and um, all of that I, I did that alongside any of the other the work that I was doing and I have been teaching that um, ever since 2017 2018 um, and I just see the impacts that that has um, on, on me um, and again, this stems back to me always being about impact. It's what is the end goal? What is it that we're trying to achieve? Um, and for me, with yoga, with meditation, with breath work, they're all interchangeable. They're all the exact same thing. For me, yoga is just a moving meditation. Breath work is something that allows you to get into a deeper sense of, of relaxation. And breath work is something that fundamentally just changes your overall sense of, of well-being and health. So, and, and, and for some, you'll call it yoga, you'll call it breath work, you'll call it meditation. It doesn't really matter. It's just something that makes you stop. And it's something that makes you tune inwards. It's something that makes you really listen. And having that, for me, has been a really complementary for any of the strategy work and and all of the services led work that I've done in the not for profit sector and um, because you become very intuitive and I think that's a skill that's been lost along the way that people have lost that sense of intuition and um, I've been able to read a room I've been able to read a face and body language a tone of voice to know that somebody is in a different space than maybe what you anticipated or that there's something happening that you're not sure but you can sense it and you can feel it um, and applying that whether it's in a yoga class or whether you're sitting in a one-to-one -one with the CEO or chair of a board talking about their evolution as an organization talking about their strategic priorities and what's next for them you still need to be able to tune into that 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 gut instinct to know what way can I go with this? How much can I probe? What level of challenge is okay here? How can we get the best out of this so that we can move the process on? So some of that, we can have all the templates that we need in the world, but a lot of the templates when you're starting off, I find with an organization or an individual, the template is to just sit, listen, listen really intently, and not jump in with the immediate solution. And that's something I've had to hone for years because my brain has already gone ahead to, I know how to fix this. I, I, have they not done this? Have they not considered that? Where actually it's about just letting it all unearth first and then trying to piece, pull it apart and piece it back together in a way that's facilitating people. Usually people have it in them themselves. So it's about helping that to come out um, and it's not, it's not that I'm talking about um, veering into kind of a coaching role, but it's really more of an active listening role so that I'm, I, I'm not putting myself and my assumptions and thoughts into another person's uh, trajectory or into another organization's traje trajectory too soon. Um, and then the last kind of piece of the puzzle, I suppose, with me is a couple of years ago, or during COVID, actually, during the first lockdown, where we were all wondering what else we should be doing. I went back and did another master's in creativity, innovation and leadership um, in the Innovation Academy in UCD. And that again, just opened another million doors um, of opportunity for me, for myself. Um, a big 
light bulb moment for me was at some point when somebody said to me, you don't need to be the creative person. We have other people who are creative. And I had never thought that I wasn't creative until that was said to me. And then I was like, am I not creative? Oh, I'm not creative. And I linked that very much with because it's about art or, it, it, you know, it, it, it's about it's about design or something. And then what this course really allowed me to do was review my entire career and my adult life where I had been working in a problem solving capacity, developing new services from scratch, from nothing um, and and iterating that over and over and over again for over 20 years. And, you know, for me, that was really that everybody has creativity in them. It just manifests in different ways. And, and that is another area that I think for the future, we need to allow time, we need to nurture it, we need to encourage it because people will express it and bring it to the fore in different ways. And I've just seen magic being unearthed using like a design thinking approach where you're allowing people from various different walks of life and perspective to input and feed in to a really creative process. That's where we see the innovation. That's where we see the pivot. That's where we see the bad ideas, the great ideas, the in-between ideas. And by allowing that time and energy to allow that creativity to, to, to unfold. Um, and that's what's happened for me. So that's kind of my, that's my story in, in, in a nutshell. How has practices like breathwork, meditation and yoga, how has that allowed you or has it allowed you to connect more with your own story, do you think? Without a shadow of a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I, and that was the thing why I needed to go and study it more because even after one really good session, and again, it, it, it was an incredible teacher who brought me through it, how I felt in myself was fundamentally different. Uh, the sense of ease, the sense of calm, um, the, the sense of just being in the here and now um, so it's not about switching off the mind. It's not about avoiding what's happening. It's just about coming into the here and now, even if it's just for a couple of moments. And a beautiful phrase that, that, that sits with me, and whether it's at the end of a yoga class or whether I'm just doing five minutes of breath work for myself, is for the next couple of minutes, you've nowhere else to be and nothing else to do. And if, if that's all you do is come back to following your breath in and following your breath out just for five minutes, it, it, it just changes even the neural pathways in terms of what's happening in your brain and your perspective. If I'm feeling with a project that I'm a bit overwhelmed, I don't know what direction it's going to go. Inevitably, with strategy work, you come into it and it's like, oh, OK, uh, I'm not sure where this is going to end, but I will figure it out. So you're, you're, you're starting here. There's a big cloud and a blur in the middle and then you've got your beautiful strategy document and crystal clear direction at the end but you have to navigate through that cloud and that blur and that can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes or when you're in the middle of it going there's uh, 20,000 different rabbit holes here I could go down am I really going to go down all of them that's where I go okay Roshan stop literally I put the fold down the laptop and I'll either walk away from it or I'll stay where I am. It depends on time commitments, what I have. But even five minutes of me just following my inhale all the way to the top of my breath and following my exhale all the way to the bottom of my breath, I'll open my eyes 
and I'm back in the game. It fundamentally changes, it gives clarity, it brings breath to different parts of your brain that maybe are, oh, in fight or flight mode. So it helps to just bring that clarity and to de-escalate what's, what's happening with all of the electricity that, that's happening and all of the energy that's traveling through your body. Um, and I'm not describing it in a very scientific way because I think sometimes we lose people then. It's actually so simple what it does. It brings air to different parts of your brain that otherwise wouldn't get it. So I, 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 I integrate that a lot where I fall down would be too um, strong a word. You know, my yoga practice is something that I really enjoy, um, but it is something that I let slip. I don't have time or um, because I'm busy, I have to run out and do the school run or I have to make a phone, or, you know, life. Um, but, but equally to anybody who I'd be teaching or facilitating, everybody has life that gets in the way. So it's a matter of how we prioritize. Um, so I still do my yoga practice, but it's something I always go now, Roisin, you should, could be a little bit better there. And even though could and should are words that don't resonate with me, it's one thing that I can implement a little bit more. Uh, one or two other little things that I would do would be savoring. So that would be like I had my coffee before I came on the call with you, but I actually just sat and tasted the coffee as opposed to shoveling it down my gob to get my first hit of coffee into me for the day but I actually hold the cup taste it feel it going down my throat and actually feel what coffee tastes like there's loads of little things like that or brushing your teeth or tying your laces or something to actually to experience it break it down in as much detail as you can so things like that for me it's just a circuit breaker it's just to to allow me and um, take a break and not avoid anything but to take a break and then I come back to it revitalized recalibrated um, and ready to roll with a with a fresh perspective even with just a mini kind of break you mentioned the word just coming back to something else you said earlier on about trauma and obviously in 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 homelessness services you're you're going to come across very acute or very obvious forms of it but I guess we all have experienced trauma early on in our life. We just maybe don't realize it or don't categorize it as that. But I was just wondering, what does trauma mean to you or for, or for you? And, and do you see it in, I know we obviously you've seen it in extreme circumstances, but do you see it in other areas of other people's lives or how do you think it plays out for people? Oh, I see it everywhere. I, I and, and I think what you said there is, you know, trauma, and um, impacts and manifests in very different ways for, for different people. And, you know, in my time, it, it, when I worked in homelessness, um, I was a major advocate um, for, for, for saying that homelessness was a trauma in a child's life. And I was met with, no, it's not. It's just circumstantial. It's just their environment. And I was like, no, it's the experience of homelessness that has led to them becoming homeless. Number one is a massive trauma that they've left their home under whatever circumstances. The fact that they then remain in homelessness for years, potentially living in one room with with all of the, their siblings. What's happening to them while they remain in homelessness is another trauma that reinforces it. And then when they move out, there's the period of adjustment to help them to be able to deal with that. So that is that is huge. So that is, and, and, and during my time working in homeless services, we did get to a stage where it was acknowledged that trauma was, um, or that homelessness was considered as a trauma. 
in, in a child's life. But equally, the adults, it was a trauma for them too, for, for parents bringing their children uh, into something like this where, where they felt it was their fault and that they couldn't prevent it, even though they may have tried their best. So there's layers and layers and layers. But I see, but so they are, they are acute, I suppose, and they are pub public and they are known. They're researched now, they're studied and there are supports available. But there are every there are everyday people who are walking and working amongst us who have stuff that happened to them and it may not seem to me that it's a big occurrence but it's something that has happened to them that triggers their response as an adult in various different ways and means that means that certain things are just too much or means that their health is compromised or some of their behaviors in in, in their life that they use to make themselves feel a little bit better so I, I do, I see it everywhere. I see anxiety is rife. People don't know what to do with their anxiety. People don't even know what their anxiety is, just that they don't feel great. They feel shaky. They feel a sense of unease. Their tummy is at them. They have aches and pains. Um, that sense of their heart coming up their throat. All of these things, I see it all of the time. And I would say the majority of people who come to any of my yoga who come to any of the breathwork stuff, they're all looking for a way to help themselves feel a little bit more at ease in themselves. It doesn't mean that their problems go away, but it just helps them if they're better, and better is a word that, that I know we're, we're gonna talk about, but if they feel a bit more okay in themselves, they can better manage whatever it is that's coming down the line. Um, and, I, and I see it in the strategy work where we meet with, CEOs um, board members, staff, you can just see the and not necessarily that work is causing it, but everybody has something within them um, that they find difficult to, to deal with or, or, or not everybody. I shouldn't have said that. What I mean is a lot of people don't have a toolkit to be able to process and understand what's happening to them. So you wake up at 35 or 40 crippled with anxiety and you don't know why you have anxiety um, and actually if you strip it all back what you'll uncover is there is a, a level of trauma and um, that, that happened to somebody it could be a loss it could be a birthing process an accident an illness an injury a loss of a friendship I mean it's so extensive that but that will have impacted somebody at a very deep level that may be so far buried they don't even know that it's there so I do think that's there and, and I just see anxiety is a massive problem. I, I think it's, you know, in, in terms of we have acute mental health as well. But I think what's bubbling under the surface at the moment with normal people and high levels of anxiety and stress, uh, which which is bad for overall health. I do think we have a big, big problem coming down the line. I'll ask my next question, which is a better strap line, which, um, you know, is live well, perform better. And one of the reasons I ask people like yourself onto the podcast is what do those words mean to you to get um, someone else's perspective or interpretation of that? So please tell me, what does that mean to you? So live well, I think um, it is great. It, it's aspirational and it, it's, it, it's something to, to reach for. The perform better for me, um, it jars with me a little bit because the word better in particular makes an assumption that where you are today is not enough and is not good enough. And that, that anxiety that we spoke about there a minute ago, 
you know, I think there are so many people who are really struggling with feeling that they're not enough um, or feeling that they're not good enough in their roles, in work, in their, their relationships, in how they parent, in how they are a carer for somebody, um, in how they are as a sibling. I just think people ha- give themselves a very hard time on not being enough. So telling somebody to perform better that that that's why for me I'm like oh and and who decides what better is so there's this uh, judgment and there's um a hierarchy or there's a a a power trade-off as to who decides what what better is where actually the I think the fact is what you did today I don't mean you David I mean what anybody did today might be the absolute best that they could do today based on whatever else is going on for them. So for me, I think it's more about performing to the best that you can if we're talking about particularly in a professional, but also in a a personal capacity. I think the real learning and growth for people comes from the days where things don't work out, uh, where the wheels fall off the bus and everything goes wrong uh, and you feel like you've made an absolute hames of things. It's the, the, I think the real learning and growth and the magic happens when you are allowed and take time to take stock and and reflect on that. Um, And it's about really prioritizing the things, I suppose, that can, that can help you be the best that you can be on any particular day. And again, like just, you know, we were talking about it there. I've seen that heartache and struggle with anxiety and stress because people feel that they aren't enough. So where they are in a particular moment may not be enough for what the job needs, but it doesn't mean that them as a person isn't enough um, or that they can't, it's not for them to do better in that moment in time because maybe what they're doing is is their best. And I think there's a kind of a a crucial difference in that. So that's where the the live well, I'm all about it. it. It's do the best that you can to live well does that mean perform better we all still have lives we all still have crap thrown at us that we have to deal with we want if we're managing people or we colleagues and teams we want them to all perform as best as they can but must do better for me is very much aligned with that you're not good enough and it's not just semantics it's not just words because i think it's it, it, it particularly in psychology and counseling where this concept of you're not enough is something that comes up for people in therapy over and over and over again. So if there's an association for perform better with you're not enough, that, that, that's, if I'm being very honest, that's where that sits for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, great, great. And I, I love that answer. And that's definitely food for thought for me. So thanks a million. You mentioned some of the stuff already um, about breath work, yoga, meditation, savoring, but are there any other things that help you, um, you know, just to show up and, and back to what you were saying earlier about like, just do my best on any given day for myself and where I'm at, but what are the other things that you might kind of try and do that, that help with that? So one other thing that I would do, I, I, I swim in the sea all year round and only if it's safe to do so. Um, and I find that I find that incredible because the minute I set, step foot into the water, the only thing I'm thinking about is my breath. 
everything else literally washes away. So for me, it is um, a, a perfect example of mindfulness because I am literally just following my breath in and out so that I don't die in the water, basically. So that that's one thing. And if, if, if I can't get in the sea, I have a cold chair. Um, and actually the sea is much easier. It's much more fun than standing in, in, in a cold chair. Um, the other thing that I like to do, and, and it, it's something I've honed over the years, is that stop, pause, reflect. And it doesn't have to be for a long time, but before rushing in, particularly as a creative person, the mind is sparking, the ideas are coming, and, and that's all great, but save that for an ideation space. Save that for the, a space where it's needed, because sometimes what I need or what the other person needs is just to be heard. So that stop, pause and reflect, hold it, holding myself in the moment um, it is, it is also something. And the third thing I would say is surrounding yourself um, not only with like-minded people, but make sure that you have other people who are not like you because otherwise it's samey, samey. You need to be challenged. You need people to be curious. You need people to probe. And I certainly have that with mantra that there's people who will not just accept because I've said it and it'll be picked apart. Um, so I have to be ready. I have to have things thought through. And if I don't, that's OK, because what will come back to me is I haven't thought this through enough. I need to go at this again. And, and it's an iterative process. So having really good people around you who are willing to, to challenge you um, in a very respectful way and have those debates and unearth anything and being open to it. That, that's my last thing I'd say is not taking anything personally, particularly in a professional sense. Everyone's just here to do a job. And sometimes people might say things that you don't agree with or that irk you slightly, but don't take it personally. Disagree with it. Challenge it and say, I don't agree with that or I'm not OK with that. Um, but don't take it personally. Um, so they're the only other few bits and pieces that, that I would add to anything else that I've said already. You're going into and working with lots of different organisations at the moment. What are some of the challenges, whether it's, it's just strategy or, or stuff that you just observe in teams or organisations right now? What's, what's coming up for you? What do you see? Where are people at at the moment, do you think? I just think people are so busy um, doing, in doing the doing. Um, that often there is a disconnect to the, 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 the strategic direction or that the end goal. Um, so I would spend a lot of time with organizations working on what is the problem that you're trying to solve here? And not from their perspective, but from the user, or the client or, or the service user perspective. So we'd spend a lot of time really pulling that apart because people have moved away or diluted um, things a little bit as to what is the end goal that we're trying to achieve here. So I find it really helpful to work on that problem statement to bring people back to connecting with the why and the purpose. And um, so I would see that there is because people are so busy, so they're they're time poor and often very stretched with competing on multiple priorities, trying to just get through the day every day, that sometimes there is that lack of focus, there is that lack of strategic clarity and direction. Um, but so that is one of the big challenges that I see. The other thing that I see is that people don't know what to do with uh, their ideas and they don't have time. I, I just find that 
time for creativity and innovation is lacking because people are just so busy in getting the job done every day. Whereas actually when that structured time is built in to allow people that creative space where there is no wrong, there is no right, it's just let's come together and figure this out. And obviously we facilitate that with parameters. It's not just a talking shop, but, but where people have that space and permission and the ability to go down those rabbit holes, even if it's once a week, once a month, once they know it's there, that gives huge scope for the innovation that will drive the changes that may a lot of organizations need. Um, it'll also allow um, th that quality insight and data to emerge. And um, that means they can respond to, to evolving need and need changes all of the time. We've just seen an absolute seismic shift over the last couple of years with COVID. So that ability is there. And I don't believe we should need to wait for another COVID to, to unleash the creativity that's there. That was already there. It's like, oh my God, we need to find ways to channel this, to embrace it, to nurture it. And, and to really let it grow. And the last kind of challenge I see with organizations is people stuck in the comfort zone. And sometimes the comfort zone is not necessarily, it can be a negative thing that people know what they're doing, but the next zone after the comfort zone is the fear zone. So that's where it's feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, we need to try and do things a little bit differently. Eek, I'm not sure about this because it's nicer over there where at least I know what I'm doing over there. We're here, I'm not sure. And then you move from the fear zone into the learning zone where you, you've just seen the journey that you've come through from comfort through to fear, what you've learned, what needs to change. You really get into that ideation zone. What's now possible? What are the opportunities? What's the strengths-based approach we can take here? So all of a sudden you feel that learning starting to kick in and then you move into the last zone, which is the growth zone. So you come on this journey and that's where the real magic then begins to happen. But it is a journey. And sometimes you have to drag people kicking and screaming, including yourself and others. And it's not a linear, it's not a linear route. You have to pivot and, 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 and weave your way through it and veer off and then come back on track. So it, it, that's that other challenge that I see is giving people permission to step out of the comfort zone, showing them the way into that fear zone and letting them see that there is a trajectory through to growth once they allow themselves to take even just that small next step. So it doesn't have to be catapult yourself from here to the end goal. It's take the next small step that you can do today to just start going on that journey. So, so that's, that is a challenge when people are stuck in it. But there is a way of helping them to move through it, I find. Just staying on the on the, the strategy um, topic for a second, is there different ways that people are doing it now or that you're, you're approaching it? Or um, So it really depends on who's in front of you. And it, it, it depends on their connection, their, their rating. So for me, I highly rate a vision, mission and values because I believe they're part of the DNA uh, of an organization. And it's part of their brand. It's part of their identity. It's part of their architecture. Um, so it, it really depends on the value I think that people put on it. Where I do see difficulties are where people don't know what their vision or their mission is. And you can call it a vision, you can call it a mission, you can call it a purpose. There's loads of different names around it. Ultimately, it is about impact and end goal. So I will structure the conversation, the, 
the probing, the challenging around what is it that you're trying to do here? What is it that you're trying to achieve and why? So we can call it anything and that that becomes for some about semantics and wordsmithing. So I'm okay in that space once the, there, there is a connection to the bigger picture and where there isn't a connection to the bigger picture, that's where the problem is. And that's where we need to do much more, uh, a deeper dive in terms of the vision or the mission or the purpose, the problem statement. What are the values that underpin this organization? Who do you align with and why? Um, and really it's all about what is the end goal? What is the change that you're trying to see? Um, because then we can talk about how we're gonna get there. But I'm actually less concerned in the initial stages with the how we're gonna get there, with what is it, what is there? What does there look like? Um, so once we have clarity around what there looks like, the rest is much more of a process to be able to work through. But I will bring, um, I will bring a different approach to every organization and group that I work with. Sometimes I will have prepared exercises to elicit information and it mightn't work or the energy in the room is wrong. So I'll have to have a few more things up my sleeve to, 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 to tip through to the next. Or inevitably what happens is when people haven't stopped to think about that end goal or their problem statement, it, it brings about a huge level of debate and discussion. And it's better to hold that space and forego something else because this is really, really important. And it, when it's abundantly clear that they just haven't had time to stop and think about it, but now they're getting the importance of it and they want to work on it. It's about holding that space and bringing them through it so that, they, that there's total clarity at the end of it, that they know exactly what it is that they're trying to achieve. And then they can almost write the strategy themselves. The strategy writing process becomes much more um, um, easy, I should say, because the, the end, we know what we're working towards. So then it's just about the building blocks and the pillars, which are hugely important. Um, but we know what they're there to hold up. So it really is kind of start with the end and, and, and work your way backwards then. My final question, which I'm probably going to have to rephrase slightly, but your one piece of advice um, for anyone who's looking to live well and perform at their best. Have a plan. Just have a plan. It doesn't have to be a big plan. It doesn't have to be a complicated plan. Sometimes plans don't work. Sometimes you're not going to be able to fix something or you don't know how you're going to be able to fix it. But you can put a plan in place as to how to manage that. You can put a plan in place how to manage yourself. If you're feeling overwhelmed, what's your plan for you? What do you do to make sure you can decrease that level of overwhelm? If you're working with the client and something has gone not their way, what can they do next? So it's like what we spoke about a couple of minutes ago, what's that next small step? That there's always a plan. And even if the plan isn't about a finalized product, document, service, whatever it is, what is the plan for now? What can I reasonably do in the next day, week, month, what, whatever it is, it's always have a plan. Um, and that way you feel you will have much more control. You will feel that you're much better able to manage whatever is coming your way because you have a plan. Now, the caveat is plans are allowed to change. Um, so this it, it's never set in stone, but even having a plan for today is enough for today. Um, and it's just, I think we need to be kinder to ourselves uh, as we work through um, all of these kind of things. Have that plan. 
in place um, and the world will feel maybe not so difficult at times. Fantastic. And then lastly, just before we finish up, where can people find you and connect with you, whether it's for strategy work or yoga or whatever it might be? You'll find me for strategy work with Mantra Strategy, www.mantrastrategy.com. And we are a a collective of of brand strategists, creative facilitators, innovation and being at the core of what we do. And uh, so you, you will find us there. And if any of the yoga and breathwork stuff, you wouldn't know where I'll pop up, but you would find me on, you'll find me on, on Instagram under Roshin. Brilliant. Well, Roshin, thanks very, very much for uh, giving me your time. Um, you're a ball of energy and passion and enthusiasm, as well as information. Um, and I think anyone listening to this conversation is going to get a huge amount from it. So thanks a million for doing it. Thanks a million. Delighted, David. Thank you so much for listening to this week's conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard and you want to stay in touch with us, then please head over to www.belowtheline.ie to subscribe to our mailing list and to explore our upcoming programs and events. Until then, take care and see you next time.